Hey, welcome everyone. Uh, it's Andrew here, um, editor in chief of Visible Oranges. I'm joined by Ted Newble. Hey, Ted, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. And also joined by Joe April. Hey, Joe. Hi, everybody out there. Yep. And then we got Langdon Hickman as well. Hey, Langdon. Uh, hold up. Let me pause my anime real quick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Lang- All right. I'm in. <laughs> Langdon pauses his anime and he's locked and loaded. <laughs> I was thinking about Goku again. Oh, don't don't get me started. <laughs> Thinking about Goku eating a lot of Velveeta cheese or something. I mean, it's a Sunday right now. We're recording this on a Sunday, so I was at church. Mm. Should we start tweeting? <laughs> no, we, we should focus. <laughs> so we're going to focus very hard. <laughs> like Goku. Goku focuses pretty hard. We're going to drop the spirit bomb on <laughs> um, uh, heavy metal visual artwork, and we can call it album art. We can call it like just any associated uh, visual art that comes alongside as a booklet, as an extra, as a print with, you know, metal albums. And I think when you see heavy metal art, you know, it's heavy metal art, but sometimes you don't. And like, I don't know, there's interesting dynamics. There is like what value visual art has for a field dominated by art that is all audio. Um, But at the same time, like you have to consider also like the purpose of marketing and visual appeal uh, to actually sell records inside of a capitalist framework we all live in. So, like, there's many purposes, I think, to visual art. But um, let me get started by just saying that my favorite album art, piece of album art of all time, and I have it hanging on the wall in here. I'm not going to move the camera. Um, is uh, the cover art um, for Remission by Macedon, by Paul Romano. Um, Hell of an artist. And it's, if, it's, it's so beyond. And if you... If you're not familiar with it and you Google it right now, or I can slightly describe it, it's a horse with flames coming out of its back in this dramatic pose sort of suspended in inside this frame that has a lot of detail. It's just very, it's very massive. It sort of became like, it's weird how that image and that, and Paul Romano's art became, and I know they switched artists later on, but became like a part of that early Macedon identity. They, it gave them a certain look. It's hard to describe. They also they also brought him back. I mean, for Emperor Sands, that was one of the big reunions mm, for that record. Right, was right, they right, bought right. they brought Romana back. Um, yeah, and it's it's especially for um, for those early Mastodon records, and then again for Emperor Sand. Another thing that's really hard to get unless you saw them live on those on those album tours um, or got some of the bigger prints that were made available is how fucking big those those images are. Like, you can mm-hmm. find online pictures of Romano next to the paintings, like the painting that was the cover for Leviathan. Mm-hmm. It's big? It's an eight-foot-tall painting. Oh, fuck. I didn't know he was a... I know a lot of artists paint small, medium, and then some people paint big. That's where a lot of times the actual cover image for them is a cropped, like, right portion of this bigger thing. And then if you saw them live on those album tours, you saw the full image as their um as their backdrop. Um. Yeah, I think that there is a someone who would obviously be redundant to call heavy metal a, um, an aesthetically driven genre. I think that hopefully anyone listening to this would just know that. Um, well, it's, it's very, all music, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like that. That's that's just like a an observation about art in general, um, mm. and the fact that you can even have things like, regardless of your feelings about them, the fact that you can even have like an H and M line of a heavy metal jacket, and it's immediately identifiable as a heavy metal jacket, even if the bands on them don't exist. It means that there is some <laughs> sort of 
Keyed aesthetic. Yeah. 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 So obviously the, the first thing you have to do is like the inverse. I'm, I'm quite Hegelian. So the dialectical uh, thing, the first negation, um, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to use too many big words. Don't worry. Um, is, is you have something like anti-art, like, like the record, um, Jesus by, by Kanye. Well, it's West. like, yeah, it's thesis and antithesis. So it's yeah. like, yeah, that you, framework. Were yeah. you specifically for, for the record uses, he, he specifically had, it was a clear case. The disc had nothing on it and it was sealed with just plain tape. And you would know right. it was, and the disc also had no image on it, had no artist information. It's just the silvery disc. And that works because we are so used to any given record will have some aesthetic element tied to it. And so suddenly the aesthetic element is the absence of aesthetic. And so that becomes noteworthy. And then, you know, you the only reason why you start grabbing art initially for a record is because practically speaking, you do often think of a record more often as how it intertwines with your day and your life. Like it's not the general experience of an album. It's, you know, I heard this when my parents were going through a divorce or I heard this when I was, you know, on this vacation with my, you know, partner, whatever, or when Mm. my kid was born. But if you do that, it start you start feeling almost like if you're an artist, like no one is engaging with your art. It's just you're engaging with their life. So if you can flip the script a little bit by having some kind of image that people associate with, then you can guarantee, well, at least for a brief window, every single person who hears this will have this. That's a very good description thing. of like the underlying, I think, mechanics of how we become associated or bands become associated. It's weird how we say that bands become yeah. associated like without saying that people collectively <laughs> associate images with bands um based on what comes out of that band uh visual or not um but bands bank on that association too in a capitalist framework to actually sell albums and make a living sometimes or make part of a living um and and this is where I wanted to pivot to Joe for a second because Joe listens to a lot of black metal and it's, there's an interesting, I feel like black metals, there's a slight exception sometimes with the purpose and nature of album art. And I'm not talking about sketch shit. I'm just talking about stuff that is like, I think as Langdon said, almost anti-art and like the negation or the antithesis of what should be aesthetically pleasing. And it's almost like what should be, and not even like in the, like, oh, some death metal album puts a bunch of guts on their album. Like, that's not aesthetically pleasing, <laughs> but it's just, it's aesthetically pleasing in a, in a way. But there's some black metal album art, clearly, and other genres do, but where it's well, it's just not yeah. pleasing, <laughs> bottom line. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you I think the easy example there is Dark Throne and mm. sort of how they started the... With a lot of things with black metal being unique in that it was reaction to previous things that happened in metal, that they were looking at... You know, stuff like probably like the Pestilence album covers or even Obituary or other, you know, early you know, 90s death metal bands. And, you know, I, I enjoy a lot of the kind of phantasmagoric, uh, you know, kind of imagery and everything. But I think for them, it was sort of like it's too colorful. It's too just sort of bright and in your face. So then it was all about sort of, you know, let's let's just do like a black and white photo in in the woods like and have it look like it was like photocopied 50 times over um <laughs> uploaded to and, youtube and then downloaded and re-uploaded a million times <laughs> that's the futuristic way of <laughs> yeah the, the more modern <laughs> yeah. version of that 
Um, but yeah, black metal definitely has it. You know, if you want to situate it within, a, you know, the, the art world context, you know, there's probably a bit of a dataist kind of aesthetic that was thrown in there. Sort of this. Um, I mean, that was kind of the point of black metal, even musically, was this notion that um, death metal, just you know, point aside from his, you know, from death and from morbid angel and you know, even napalm death, just what musically that means. Just if you hear the phrase death metal, it should sound something repulsive. It should sound like death. Um, so that was the idea of black metal is that visually and musically it should be repulsive. It should not be aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't take long for people to go, you know, totally a different way with that. Um, there's plenty of beautiful, very aesthetic uh, black metal album art. But yeah, it's never the rule, it seems. But maybe there's like a slight trend, something you could pick up on. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely like Dark Throne, like, you know, you would think about like sort of these gorgeous album covers and then you look at like, you know, the Dark Throne trilogy and you're like, wait, what? Like, how does that fit in? <laughs> Is there also an element of like looking like giving off the impression that you don't care enough about the visual art that you just sort of care only about the music? I find a lot of that sort of mentality in black metal sometimes where it's like only the music matters. Every like marketing doesn't matter. PR doesn't matter. Names, all that stuff is just bullshit. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I, I see that definitely as something that they inherited from, from the hardcore world. Cause like, again, it, mm, it's something that we can't escape when talking about anything extreme metal post thrash It is mm. how much they are going to tie into, um, the lineage with punk and what elements mm-hmm. of the lineage of punk, because obviously mm. post punk got, super artsy it's hard to describe a band like this heat or pere ubu as you know lo-fi that would be ludicrous um but you then also have certain you know like 80s hardcore bands where it's exactly the same visual aesthetic as you'd see on like uh black metal cassettes uh you know extremely washed out heavily photo um like photocopied images with blown out whites and pitch black blacks um yeah, so I, I see it, at least sometimes there is a strong tie there, and taking it taking it to the nth degree. Yeah, absolutely. That hardcore idea of like just basically like don't give a shit about certain stuff. You know, it doesn't matter to me. Like that sort of like I find that mentality too. I think where you pointed out. I mean, I, I I definitely see that, but I mean, it is interesting where you know if you watch documentaries with these guys or things, it, it, there's definitely a lot of thought put into the album art. It's, That's it's mm-hmm. rarely sort of act, you know, as it actually happened, it was rarely just sort of like, Oh, whatever, just put, throw that on. Like, and even like weird things that look kind of garish were more mistake than intent. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, you know, the, the most infamous of that is mayhem's death crush that the first pressings were pink. Um, which, if I remember right, it was just because uh, I think they got it printed in Poland and it was just cheaper to do it that way. Funny. So it came back pink and, and you mm-hmm. know, like, kind of like Euronymous had to retcon that that was intentional. Um, I think I said so th- th- this is admittedly where it comes to, to personal taste. There's sort of the um, the black metal 
cassette aesthetic where even if it's released mm-hmm. on vinyl you'll have like it it looks like a j card that's been flattened out yeah it does um, it's like there's a bar on the side with yeah. crazy freaky font and then there's a logo you know it's like there's a format well, even there where you could copy and paste it yeah well they also all look like spooky clown people at a certain point not not all of them but there's like there's a, a world especially if they start using vampire that's that's my favorite one i see vampire and i'm like you're not i've seen a few I've seen a few Langdon Hickman tweets with the word vampire in it. <laughs> yeah, because like I saw it one time and I, I just lost my mind. I mean, but uh, so th- this actually touches on, I think, really well, a-, a band that pretty much all of us in in the, edi- the editorial space love. I think I can safely say that of, of Old Nick, where they do the mm-hmm. exact same thing, but by deliberately picking colors for their color palette, that are not, to be brief, not the ones you would expect from a uh, a black metal cassette. It'll be like fucking royal purple and like lightning bolt yellow. Um, but it's it's the exact same images, but it's like they just you know used a fill tool to pick like. Which again, I, I feel yeah. It's like up black metal's f- endless like sort of neg- that's that in itself is a colorful negation of of trend. I like exactly, that. it's very black metal of them to do that. One of the things about Old Nick I thought was interesting is, like, at least some of their latest albums have, like, full-blown, like, album art on there, too. It's, like, really colorful, and it appears to have been just kind of solicited from people across the internet. So, like, it really breaks out of the, um, uh, that cassette, like, spooky clown people with a funny border around it mold. And uh, I really liked it, because even on that album that has a really long name that I'm, I do not remember, um, it's, like, 30 words long, uh, the album art is literally describing what that song is about. And so it's not just, like, a joke name they made. They, like, committed to the concept and made it part of the artwork. And, again, kind of broke some of those black metal uh, molds at the same time. I like that. I like that it's challenging and that it might bug some purists in that it's... <laughs> they're still they're playing the aesthetic game, old Nick. Like yeah. they're making an aesthetic statement, a very like obvious one. But it's interesting and it's cool, and that I think is the end of it. That's the point. And um, but as far as like album titles go and song titles, like they've got whoever's writing that shit is just fucking hilarious. <laughs> I mean, so it, it ties into like one of the functions yeah. of of album art and album titles and even band names and even things mm. like band logos, which is ultimately without so you can go really deep into it into a theory hole with this like i oh I, yeah god i studied this stuff so i won't i won't jump into the big names but you can look up people like derrida and lacan and um semiotics and semioticians and things like that and they they will touch on a lot of this stuff McLuhan's another big name but the general notion of they know that music doesn't exist in a void they aren't playing music for people who've never seen films, who've never heard other albums, who've never read other books, who've never been outside. They're not playing music for people who are born without any eyesight, without any hearing, without any sense of touch, things like that. Um, they're going to be playing for some people without those things, but it's not going to be everyone. And likewise, because of this, they know that before you hear the album, you're going to very often hear the name of the band playing the album. Uh, some of the time you'll hear the name of the record that it's from. Some of the time you'll hear the song name before you hear it. And other times as well, you'll see this image of the album art before you play it. And at every checkpoint there, they can take advantage of that to basically prime you in a certain direction. 
the goal is always on some level of sometimes it's not an explicit thing. Sometimes it's not like I want them to think about guts because this song is called guts. <laughs> um, it, it is sometimes that, which is what I love about death. It can metal be more or, of a nudge, nudge, you know, more of exactly. more of an more of a double association too. So, yeah, and that's yeah. where you can get you can get deeply poetic with it, obviously, or you can even just go into yeah. very light nudging. Like there's the, the beautiful rub of a band called Gorguts sounding like that. Good name, right? Yeah. And I'll then agree. They, all in on that. Good name, Gorguts. For, even though I can't really listen to their music all the time. Well, <laughs> good, so, good so, name for a band. So yeah. I'm gesturing actually specifically to the fact that they have a name that you hear it and you think, okay, and that's going to be some... Yep. Some like I mean, you could tell that name to like your 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 great grandmother who's never heard anything, anything even with electric guitar, maybe, and uh, she would be like, "Oh, that sounds terrifying." (laughs) And especially if you're really used to music like that, and then you hear it, and you get even on their first record, even on you know, "Consider Dead" and "Erosion of Sanity," you're like, "This Mm. is a lot more chopsy and technical than I would have thought from." Yeah. name like that and you know you can go in the other direction as well you can have I, that's where you can have something as it it splits people it can either be very boring or very satisfying when you look at a name and you go that's going to be a second wave black metal clone band and some people are like <laughs> fuck yes it is hell yeah and other people are like i don't but whether you like it or not is more an indication of your personal taste the fact that you right. can identify it immediately is a signifier of why that kind of aesthetic thing matters or and it why ties in, the, it's the same reason that mcdonald's will never stop advertising even though everyone knows what fucking mcdonald's is yeah everyone knows that, already but they will never stop advertising because it's got to be a constant reminder that's the process that's the well, flow I, yeah, I, go ahead i don't want i don't want it to seem like we're assuming like uh which, which I don't think we're necessarily are, but I, but I could see people listening and interpreting it this way that album art is is always uh, something uh, is always nothing more than marketing. Like I would find it extremely droll if every album we got from here on out just came with like a white album cover and that was it, and you just <laughs> yeah. listen to music. I'd 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 feel like uh, you know I, I don't know it's like some sort of like uh, 1984 realm where here's your album, here's your potato, go. Um, yeah, there is a brand in maybe Canada or maybe it is here where I think their whole shtick is that everything is just a white box with plain aerial font says what it is on it. <laughs> I'm a big old Tommy who studied aesthetic stuff. So for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, but like, I can Joe, follow I, yeah. why most people would I know be you're... like, what? No. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. In, like, I think the art room where it's like, okay, the guy who thought up like the first, just all white painting. Yeah. It's like, mm. okay, but you can't really have anyone after her tr- do that again and be like, Oh, look, it's like, that's uh, true. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it becomes ironically the same thing that can be so tiring for some people with seeing like second wave black metal, what can feel like second wave black metal clone bands of like, this is a really powerful aesthetic. And when you learn the history of it, you're like, I can get where this came from. But it's like you're doing it 30 years after these people. And I'm not yeah. sure we really kn- And then, of course, Hello. then people like me have to eat crow because then Lamp of Murmur comes along and is like fucking awesome. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I hate being wrong (laughs) it is good but but, and uh but yeah yeah yeah, no i i i agree with what you're saying joseph i i don't think it's 
I don't think it's marketing. I think that those keyed aesthetics are better thought of as People can turn their nose up at it. They can find black metal artists who call their bands or call their shows rituals or, you know, the like mm. re- the absolutely ludicrous language that metal PR statements come with sometimes. Like y- yes. you, you can find examples. of. I, them think, pretty, what you, yeah, I think what you're saying is that, um, but, you know, the art does they, come first in mo- yeah, most well, cases. It's yeah. art, art is a step. We sometimes yeah. mix it up with other things. We sometimes make it deeper than it is but we also sometimes ignore how deep mere aesthetic is art is just aesthetic and it's on the audience end there's the burden that they ask you to in good faith submerge submerse yourself in this aesthetic and let Mm -hmm. let yourself react to it naturally however that is there's not a right or wrong way to react just react to it but you do have to give yourself over to this aesthetic stuff and so things like the album cover is a way to like prep you it's like the difference between if i put on if i put on full metal jacket and i tell you this is a comedy versus i put it on and i tell you this is a horror film um you're gonna respond differently like at one point for if i call it a comedy you're gonna look at me and be like i don't get the joke (laughs) joe do you know do you know if that's i'm sure there's been scientific studies where they prep people before a movie and then measure their perceives their perceptions of the movie and then compare, you know, which group perceptions. Yeah. Yeah. I think like in a non scientific study way, I mean, that happens sometimes with trailers where a trailer gives a certain impression often because the studio doesn't know how to market a movie because it's very arty or it's like multi genre crossing. So the studio is just like, just make it look like a horror movie or just make it look like a creature feature um, or Mm. something. Sometimes I'll even go like, I don't care about all these other plot threads. Those I think are going to be too flighty. Focus the trailer on that. And the director will be like, that's nine minutes of the movie though. Like, and yes. then you walk in, you're like, what the fuck am I seeing? Like, that draws it definitely a par- happens. Yeah, that's an interesting parallel to uh, music, actually, because I think one thing that's faded recently in, in like the last decade or so is uh, label control over artwork. I know, like, definitely in the beginning of every metal, you know, bands would have one idea and the label would have another. And so we ended up with like weirdly marketed things or things that really even shouldn't be part of the band, but are like Seventh Star would be the prime example for Black Sabbath. Yep. Just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, that album cover is uh, beautiful. I have learned to love it with my big, big brain <laughs> because <laughs> you look at it and you're like, holy shit. Tony Iommi wasn't in the band, right? They're like, no, he's literally the guy who owns the rights to the name. And you're like, how did he let this happen with the neon baby and stuff? What, what's even worse is it's a good oh, album. That's born like, again. It's pretty- uh, oh, that's born again. Sorry about seven that. Seven stars is a picture of Tony Iommi just kind of smiling out at the camera. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. that's even funny. I gotta, I gotta look that up yeah. right now. The, oh, um, yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's really interesting when you it, again. It album art has evolved in in heart in rock and in metal in that in in many ways. Like I I feel like we could talk about this quite a bit. Um, because like I was watching a little YouTube documentary about Pink Floyd's Animals. And a good chunk of it, they were talking about the creation of the album art, um, which was obviously the power plant uh, in London. Yeah, and Battersea. Then, uh, yeah. And, and one of the hilarious things was that, uh, you know, they commissioned uh, Hypnosis, which was the art um, group that made literally some of the greatest album artwork of the 70s. 
um, just across so many bands. Um, and later on had a connection with like uh, Coil and some electronic. They did groups. one for, they did a couple for Mars Volta as well. Yeah. And, um, and really some of the best album art I've ever seen. But it was funny how like for animals, they commissioned them for it. And Roger was like, and we're going to have a giant pig floating in front of it. And then they're like, okay, well, we can just edit that in. And it was like, no, 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 no. I want it in the shot, like live. And they're like, <laughs> okay, you're the one paying for it. Well, the label is, but you are. Okay, fine. And then they had to edit it anyway, because the shot they got was like too bright and sunshiny. So they went with like the shoot with the darker one where the pig like floated away and they didn't have it in the shot. So they I was, was going to bring anyway. that up. They uh, they took the shot with the daytime and they cropped out literally everything mm-hmm. uh, or they cropped out the, the like the sky, s- the sky and they yeah. edited in the sky from another shot. <laughs> and I think they composited in the lawn because of the way that like the shadow was or something. Yeah, that's a um. But but like the amount of in, in that too, like, again, like the we- craziness of the 70s, like how much money and you know attention was thrown in album art the fact that they had to get snipers to shoot down the inflatable pig in case it got away and the funny thing was the one time it actually did get away on one of the shoots that the sniper didn't show up so it floated <laughs> all the way out to kent and they had to pick it up there or uh, we we have we have a, a great thing that i think is sort of underreported and that it, it winds up getting underreported because of a secondary issue that actually strikes at um, metal specifically quite a lot, uh, but it can hit in other art spaces a lot, uh, which is we sometimes conflate um, critics and theorists of a thing with journalists of a thing. And the responsibilities of those two spaces are somewhat different. Journalists have to be much more beholden to history and rigorous fact checking of a certain kind rather than the sort of abstract thought that you can that you can indulge in, in that other space. But as a result, saying something like, I have a pretty strong theory that the sound of extreme metal as we know it was almost more driven by the album art of otherwise fairly tame heavy metal records than new wave of British heavy metal records in the 80s. That you look at the cover, like, look at the cover for Nosferatu by Hellstar. It's a great record. I'm not saying anything negative about Hellstar. You then play it and you go, this is almost there, but there's something about the sound that doesn't quite match the menace that I'm seeing on this image right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joseph, you brought up a similar thing with the um, death metal and especially the way that death metal began to evolve. They have to take up these other elements of progressive and psychedelic music that have always been sort of lurking in the background of heavy metals history like Judas mm-hmm. Priest and Black Sabbath being big into Prague and Iron Maiden and all that kind of stuff. But oh, yeah. yeah, then people being like, I'm looking at a crazy album cover. I'm looking at a genre name that says death metal and I'm listening to it and you sound like Mahavishnu Orchestra. And I like <laughs> Mahavishnu Orchestra, but that's not what I wanted. Like, give me death. Um, and yeah. so we see a lot of pushes in that direction and I think are, this is, I think, what people mean by heavy metal in general, but Extreme metal, even more so, being a deeply aesthetically driven genre in that there's a much tighter feedback loop between what we see and what we assume that to sound like. Like, I can show you an image and you can tell me whether that's a doom metal image. 
or whether that's a black metal image or it's whether surprising that's a death metal. Still, with the variations in those subgenres among visual art, which those variations are huge, I bet you 80, 90% of the time we could get it right. If you show yeah. us. Yep. An album cover we haven't seen. It said, is this Doom, Black, or whatever? I'd say, okay, let's let's be conservative. Say 70% of the time, we'd probably get it right. It's that, you're right. The feedback loop is extremely strong in heavy metal. And there's probably certain spaces underneath that umbrella that even exhibit that more strongly. Too. I mean, you so, look at something yeah. like Manner of Infinite Forms by Tomb Mold, which for mm. me is still their, their best one. I mean, I can I follow so. people liking all of them. But you look at it, and you hear it, and... I know that not everyone has synesthesia, but there's something about it where you go, this sounds orange and visually fucked up. And then you look at the cover and you're like, orange, visually fucked up? Got it, yeah. Or like, another yeah. one that I think more people can grasp. You listen to Rain in Blood, and you look at the cover of Rain in Blood. Or really, I think ultimately that's why a lot of people gravitate to that four-album span of Slayer. Even though anyone who's a big listener of them you know, we'll, we'll rep, you know, Haunting the Chapel and Hell Awaits as like incredible records, some, some of their best. But I think they misland with certain people because the combination of the image and the sound wasn't quite there yet. Meanwhile, from Rain right. and Blood up to about, you know, Seasons in the Abyss or South of Heaven or something, you're like, that looks how what I'm hearing sounds. It's hard. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned synesthesia too, because I think the only. I think I've maybe barely experienced it, and it's only with the color yellow. I just, I heard this album, and I'm like, this album just fucking yellow. <laughs> well, I, I think... So, not like so, piss so, yellow, or like yellow like a yellow bastard, or like yellow like jaundice, or not even yellow eyes, which doesn't sound yellow to me at all. Um, but this, <laughs> I can't remember, I have the Bandcamp link somewhere, but like, it just was yellow. Album cover I mean, I, wasn't I think, though, so. <laughs> I, yeah. I think we we sometimes have a slight misunderstanding of what synesthesia is that makes us feel either more alienated to it or more like we need to say that we absolutely have it when we don't. Yeah. Um, where th that one's more just if the impulse on one sense uh, in your brain is so intense that your brain basically cascades it to another one. Yeah. Um, and for people who have synesthesia, you tend to have just a very low threshold for one or more senses, but nearly anyone can experience something like that like we've done the like the bobo and kiki experiment of if i show you a blobby shape and a spiky shape and i go which one's bobo and which one's kiki we found that regardless of your net your native language regardless of whether you speak you know tagalog or tagalog i think is how it's pronounced mm -hmm. um or korean or um you know like a Thing, like it doesn't matter what language you speak you go blobby ones bobo sharp ones kiki so it, you have it's, that like yeah. latent sub layer and likewise mm -hmm. if you are staring at an image or closing your eyes with the music up loud enough you can have associative images you right. know they're going to be maybe yeah. a little bit different person to person but you go a thousand people talking about what metallica sounds like and the idea of like a billowing cloud roaring with thunder and then you look at the cover of ride the lightning and you go oh oh i get it <laughs> That's yeah <weird>. yeah <laughs> now let's do a, a oh go ahead joe sorry well i mean i wanted to ask because uh, i think it would be an interesting part of this to you know throw in the personal but like andrew you kind of touched on it with mastodon but uh, it was you know 
with the other guys as well. What's an album where maybe you hadn't even heard a track before, but you saw the album art and you thought, okay, I'm going to give this a chance. Oh, there's definitely. I, you're talking about like that first taste that you see the art and you're just like, yeah. I gotta listen. Like to the this. art is the first taste, and and yeah. it's temp- it's so appetizing that you then check out. The music. I will be honest. If I don't check myself and I'm browsing Bandcamp, I will end up by nature shopping by album art. I will open a tab if I Same. like the album art, and I'll skip it if I don't like the album art. And I gotta say, don't fucking do that, motherfucker, because so many times I've found albums with horrendous art that are so good so i <laughs> so you know so i have i have one caveat to what you just said which you're is right joe in, in yes. the, yeah in, in in the ideal world so i get annoyed by the you can't judge a book by its cover because again this ties back to it the aesthetic experience of an album is everything about the album it's not just the music like people who pretend mm. that like well if the songs are good that's all that we don't live in that world we live in mm-hmm. the world where bands have names albums have names songs have names They may be untitled, but that's still a choice to make it untitled. And in that world, everything about this should be of a whole. Maybe it juts against the whole because there's something fruitful about that that the artist is, you know, maybe it doesn't even have to be like you're intentionally writing down a manifesto to, you know, maybe it's just a gut thing. Like, I want it to look this way because that feels right. That's fine. But, you know, that that should be there. So while I agree that there are I'm a big prog rock fan, too, and a lot of those motherfuckers cannot design an album cover. Some of them can, but many of them cannot. Um, So, (laughs) you know, you learn to go like, okay, this looks like trash, but it's tight. Um, And hardcore fans are totally (laughs) similar about about their life with with their music choice. But I do have one immediate one for what Joseph said. I I actually have three, and they're all pretty brief. Um, The first was Baroness's Red Album. I never heard them before. I saw it in a store and I immediately looked them. I looked at the cover and went, the band is called Baroness. This is just called Red Album. And it's that image. I'm going to look this up. Yep. And I looked up like the names of the songs as well. And it was like Raison Pinion. And I'm like, I feel it. I don't know anything, but I feel it. The next was High on Fire's Death is This Communion. I saw those fucked up looking orcs that looked like they were from like from like heavy metal magazine or metal Hurlant mm-hmm. or something like that or Hulon. I French, I don't can't pronounce it. <laughs> and then the cover had a sticker that said for fans of Slayer, explosions in the sky, uh but like a bunch of bands that have nothing to do with each other, except <laughs> I loved all of them. Godspeed you Black Emperor was another one, and then I Fuck think yeah. it was like yeah. Black Sabbath. And I was like, uh yeah, I'm buying this. I don't give a shit. This is mine now. And the last one was um, the uh, the debut record from Altar of Plagues. I forget what it's called. White White Tomb, I think. Um, yes. Where it's just the uh, the power lines in like that orange haze again. So I, I have I that one that in common I- with you. I clicked on that album because of that art too. And then I, again, I looked at, I looked at the song tracks and I saw like Earth is a womb, Earth is a tomb, and then the other two part suite on the other side. And I was like, without having heard a single track, I know I'm going to love this. Mm -hmm. And I did. I, I adore that band. There's definitely, please come back. Bands, (laughs) yeah, bands and definitely their publicists really, really care about this stuff. The bands, because it's art and it's message, it's, aesthetic it's 
it's every it it helps combine them into more than just music. They are a, a creative force. The bands you mentioned too, like Godspeed You, back in different contexts, Godspeed You, like all these bands have an aura around them that we conceptualize. They're this style. They have this aesthetic. They have this look. They have this sound. And in combination, those things add up to become the whole value of what that that art is. I think, and um, for it's interesting in heavy metal, and I mentioned this at the beginning, is like there's some bands who purposely slice bits of that framework off. They say, no, we don't want we don't want purposeful album art. We just want a black cover with the name. That's it. And like they're creative choices that involve manipulating this system that works kind of behind the scenes. And I, I like the dynamic there. I like, I think that's where art becomes cutting edge. I think that's, if you're going to cut an edge, you're going to start breaking the rules a bit, but maybe you still fit in them. Maybe you don't, I don't know. But yeah, that's where we get yeah. interesting groups like, uh, what are they called? They made, uh, they made that one record, not for music. Um, oh, uh, emptiness. Emptiness. Yeah, man, like that get, album's so good. Same. I, yeah. I adore it. And Oof. like you get, like th- that's where again i think the touch of like the yeah. avant-garde spaces of things like post-punk um there's also an instrumental band called hex just h space e space x mm. um where you get those plain or very industrial or very bauhausian images um bauhausian or brutalist yeah. in terms of like architecture um yeah there and you have an industrial space the whole like the uh the founding of industrial music with industrial records, the record label called industrial records where, and factory records as well. The one that famously had joy division where their whole thing was every record would have a very plain, like, um, mm-hmm. it, it would look like copyright. It would look like a colophon instead Ted, of Alvar. Yeah. And Ted mentioned, I think like labels having more control. And then it's almost like every band on a label has the same sort of look to it. Yeah. I think now that's not as true, but I think if if you have a label like Unique Leader where all the album art looks the same, it's not because Unique Leader made those decisions. It's just because all those bands are playing to the same fucking aesthetic. (laughs) Well, I mean, you also get you get some of that bifurcation somewhat where if Unique Leader is known enough that if I'm signing to Unique Leader, it's because I want I see what you're doing and I want to be part of that. This is where I think so. so, Yeah. So we've come into we've come into quiet conflict we editors and this actually is something that plays out in a lot of different places of whether it's okay to compare bands or compare labels or things like that and there's pluses or minuses to both of those i I think there's a a strong argument to be made in either case but this is one of those times where i think that sometimes if i'm signing to unique leader i know who they are and i know that people who listen to them know who they are and so i'm not trying to sign to unique leader to be a post-rock band and to like have avant-garde minimalist imagery and like, you know, that's not, I'm there because I love that combination of right. slam technical stuff, some proggy stuff, but a lot of brutality. And with this kind of imagery, I want to give you that. And I want yeah. to live within that versus if I sign to the Flenser, you know, you're, if I get a technical brutal slamming death metal record out of the Flenser, I'm going to, call up the owner and see if he's okay <laughs> i'm gonna be like did someone kidnap you are you safe <laughs> like yeah. you know i i love the flintstone and i love their experimental stuff but you know you expect you know a more stereotypically artsy and gauzy yeah absolutely you know, absolutely yeah let's uh we'll call it that i like that discussion on album art it's 
it's interesting how I think just to wrap it up, like it's all involved in one package. Like it becomes part of the music. I think is the base. And like, even with, even if the artist says, I don't give a shit about the album art, it's a black image with the name. It's still part of the music. And however people interpret that they do. So I think, uh, we wanted to move on to, well, we have a couple options. Um, eh, I'm not, well, you guys want to talk about Metallica? (laughs) Of course, always. I always <laughs> want to talk about Metallica. Is that a, is that a dumbass question? Yeah. Are you kidding? Like, dog, they're the they're the best. They're the it, best yeah. one. <laughs> let's not do anything that feels like work. So, like, let's just shit, you know, shoot the shit about Metallica. You know, I like the idea of taking a band that everyone's talked about a million times over, and everyone knows, and they're a household name, and they got movies and DVDs and CDs and this and that and the other thing, and it's like you can still sit there and talk about that band and like relive your first experiences with them or relive a special moment you had with one of their CDs and realize, man, there is a reason why this band is big. You know, I've had that with Metallica so many times where I'll go years without listening to Metallica. It, I listened to thrash, early thrash growing up. I shifted on to different genres in my twenties and thirties. I occasionally go back, but when I go back, I find a mixture of, Yeses and nos. Like some of the old stuff I listen to is not very good. Some of the old stuff I listen to is good. I like it now. But when I go back and listen to Metallica, I'm like, this was capital M metal. Like it just, there's a reason why Metallica is huge. And I think it's not necessarily that they connected with a, such a broad audience, but that their connection was broad and also extremely deep. Like there's a feeling with that music that. I, you, it's hard to find with other bands. I mean, they're they're a sort of band that is so. I don't know. Are they so original or so anti-original in the same way? Like, are they? It's just there's such a complexity to that well, to their music that you know it's it's endless food for thought. And I, I guess my well, point overall is we could talk about Metallica for weeks. <laughs> that 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 kind of hits on something that, that we've talked yeah. about before, which is that I, I don't really see Metallica as a greatly original band, but I don't think that's a detriment whatsoever. That's kind of what like, I meant when I say, are for, they original or not? Like, like, yeah. Genres in general are, are iterative by nature. Like, and um, Joseph and I have actually had a, had a number of conversations about this hitting on different angles, where mm. if I say black metal, you know what to expect. And if I say black metal and I put on autopsy, you're going to go, no, <laughs> that's wrong. Like, um, these naturally do form boundaries. We may not like that. We may get, you know, we may get puffier and indignant either as an artist who wants to be seen as more original, which, which is a totally fair thing. Or as a fan who's like, I don't like it when you put things that I like into it. But broadly speaking, these do have, at least some kind of boxes. And it it's rare to see people that color broadly outside of them. Like, it's rare to find heavy metal that does incorporate the contemporary sounds of hip-hop and doesn't sound like it's making a joke out of one or both of those parts. It's not that it can't be done. It shows it's rare. Um, and likewise, Metallica, you look at everything they're doing and you're like, oh, those all come from bands that came before them. You can find bit by bit every single one. But it's just... It's not just good, it's the... This is going to be only a hot take to certain overly underground types. It's the best it's ever been done. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I, <laughs> the, I'll, I'll interject slightly for a second. I, I liken Metallica to McDonald's. 
And that's not because I tweeted about McDonald's earlier today. It's only because it is scientifically so delicious. It is like the perfect creation to satisfy every every taste bud you have. And like to me, Metallica is the same way. When you listen to those albums, especially those early ones that sort of opened them up, it's like it satisfies every part of you that loves metal, like every single one. And whether I'm or not it's a combination of old items is, makes no difference, at least to me. Yeah. I, I'm able to simultaneously say in like on one hand, like, oh, all all genre spaces are aesthetic packages. And sometimes we'll see language either on social media or in person that's really tedious or dismissive. But it's just a fancy way of saying I don't connect with black metal. I like death metal more or I like avant garde stuff more or whatever. I can say all that and like, oh, all of these have value. And, you know, I may not be a big new metal guy, but. If it connects with people, then that's all. I can say that. And on the same hand, I can say that if you don't think Ride the Lightning is the greatest album made by man, you're fucking wrong and should be killed. <laughs> parody. That's parody. And it's satire, too. But it's uh, not. It's there the is... best. It's the very best. It's. I can I mean, tone that yeah. down a little bit. Yeah. If you can hear that album and you don't. If you don't like that record, you don't like heavy metal. <laughs> I w- one thing I, I get Andrew's <laughs> meaning in his metaphor. Uh, it's, it's a metaphor I wouldn't use. Uh, <laughs> I, right, I mean, I eat, James Hetfield's going to hear this podcast, and he's like, "Who is this motherfucker, Andrew Rothman, who called my band <laughs> the McDonald's of heavy metal?" Because I'm going to find that fucker and punch his dick off. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hope so, James. If you're hearing this, or Kirk, yeah. or any of you, like. Clearly, I think Joe will help describe what I meant. He understands. <laughs> I mean, I get I mean. the idea yeah. where it's sort of like it's like the classic. It's the same way like you think of Metallica like like a like a you know a bottle of Coke. Like it's yeah, just sort yeah. of that like refreshing thing you can rely on. You may not drink it all the time, and and you know it may even be a while, but it it, it always provides that relief. So I, I get it in that sense. Mm. Um, in terms of the metaphor, uh, I mean, yeah, Metallica is the band that got me into metal, and mm. I know how for some people the bands that got them into a particular scene maybe aren't really their favorite, or they develop, or they change as people. But for me, it's it's bizarre. Like Metallica got me into it, and at least the classic material from them is still as near and dear to me as it was when I first heard it. It. I understand it better. I certainly understand the historical context for a lot of that music better in terms of, you know, more interviews, reading with the band and documentaries and all sorts of stuff and, you know, analysis from critics. Um, But the emotional connection is still just as strong. Like, I mean, you know, uh, mentioned someone that when I heard Ride the Lightning, even though it came out two years before I was born, um, when I heard it in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, I was like, I, I, I want to be buried with this album. Like, this is gonna, like I am going to be buried with like this in Master of Puppets. And I still feel that way. Like, mm-hmm. it's like at my funeral, I want Fade to Black to play. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. that important for me. I I even have moments where this is <laughs> this is both embarrassing and true. And people uh, listening, feel free to laugh because I know how comedic this is. Um, I will routinely cry if I hear the Unforgiven and I'm alone. Like, it's I don't know just, what it is about it. Like it. I got you. Yeah. 
like it and same same with fade to black and uh for whom the bell tolls those two songs in particular off of uh ride the lightning hit me like a fucking hammer in the heart like i don't it it's a way that doesn't it beyond doesn't make sense it like i look at it on paper and it feels ludicrous or irrational but it's like that primal like eruptive rimbaudian uh expression of art where it just like my heart explodes like it, it's it's dumb and melodramatic but it's also you know the pure response or you have the thing that nudges ride for me above master of puppets is ending on call of cthulhu like you're you crescendo and crescendo and crescendo and the finale is this like eight minute long instrumental masterwork that feels like it needs this one vocal touch that they deliberately never give you so it's this permanent like it fucks me up every time i get that i get it when like an album it's not necessarily like how aggressive it is or how beautiful it is or whatever it's just how elemental it is or how pure it is in the sense that that the way your body and mind almost just automatically react to it goes beyond just goosebumps it goes beyond like it like actually makes you well up because of how I don't know extreme not not extreme in the sense of like you know we think extreme but I think just like art so acute and so pointy that it like literally brings tears to your eyes and like if there's an art response I'm not a psychologist whatever it is but if there's an art response Metallica twists that fucking knob real hard you know like <laughs> yeah damn well it's it's certainly with the well, Ted. Did you want to? Yeah, add sorry. Something I would say I don't think it's a. Like, it doesn't surprise me much that Metallica ended up being really popular when they made like uh, hard rock. I think that those kind of hard rock roots and like understanding of what makes a song catchy and kind of drives to someone's heart is what shows up in those earlier albums. It wasn't you know it wasn't as like southern rock kind of influence back then but it's the same kind of like emotional drive and like ability to create a chorus that you can kind of sing along to just kind of repurpose into a, like a thrash metal lens and i think that's what sets those albums apart from stuff around the same era from bands like you know all good stuff but testament uh exodus those are much more just kind of on the like extreme metal path without really leaning back towards the hard rock kind of side of things it's absolutely yeah, accurate yeah. i think and uh i just metallica that's what always caught me about what Ted said is that it's not Metallica. It's not, uh, it's not purely metal. It's sort of like almost and di- maybe a byproduct. I don't know. I mean, clearly Metallica they're, they're, is fucking heavy metal, but they're, they're right. Their they're hard rock so roots. Like, yeah. Go ahead. Their, their, their name is so like almost parodically on the nose that it's that mm. kind of thing where you will either be the greatest band ever or a laughing stock. You can't, you can't have a name like I'm we're in Metallica and we play heavy metal. And the only option left is to be great, because otherwise mm-hmm. it would be like my name. It's similar to death within death metal. It's like it's, if death absolutely. was anything short name. of incredible, yeah. you'd be like dumb, dumb, whack, <laughs> corny, corny. Like <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. If you like, own that name, you have responsibility to be amazing. Um, yeah. Like dope smoker had to be a killer record. It had absolutely. to be. They put the, the pressure was too high. But. So completely incidentally, this is just a fun factoid um, for uh, for people at home. I forgot we were recording this until like like an hour before. So I was able to whip up some notes and stuff. But as a total fluke, 
before I even looked at what we were going to talk about, I was listening to the power metal demo, which is the first demo mm-hmm. that Metallica put out. Just mm-hmm. none of us are kidding. We all love Metallica. Like uh, numerous times when we have turned off recording, me and Joe have waxed uh, rhapsodically about Metallica for about an hour, um, like without recording it. Like, <laughs> we were just like, oh, God, I love Metallica. Yeah, they're the best. Um, so just as a fluke, I, I put it on um, for those who don't know. Power Metal was the name of their first demo. It's the one that they cut with Ron McGovern on bass. Um, so it's before Cliff joined. And also Dave was on guitar. And all the songs on it wound up showing up on Kill 'Em All, except Mechanics, which got renamed and reorchestrated to Four Horsemen. There's a lot of history there, but all the songs showed up. But the big thing when you listen to them is they don't sound hardly anything like they did on Kill 'Em All. We imagine Metallica as starting very punky and then evolving into these more orchestrated and more progressive paths, and that's not true. Touching on Ted's point, those early ones sounded very like high and dry by Def Leppard. It sounded like Diamond Head. It sounded very new wave of British heavy metal, but also a ton of budgie. The fact that they covered Bread Fan later in their career makes perfect sense because that's what they cut their teeth on. Like in the 70s, before, you know, heavy metal as we know it really took off, they all loved hard rock. I mean, that's that's where it came from in the 90s. They weren't they weren't making that up. They weren't like, oh, and now we've decided that we don't like heavy metal anymore. They got into punk and heavy metal in the late 70s and 80s and became the Metallica that we know. And we actually run into that with a lot of bands, like a lot of the prog rock bands of the 70s in a lot of people's eyes turned into pop bands in the 80s. But they started as pop bands in like the late 60s and became prog rock. Um, Similar thing with Metallica, where a lot of times from the outside, we perceive a band as starting with their first album, where for them, they start the first time they play music in a room together. And that the first album is very, I mean, you hear that all the time. The first album is every bit of music or all the best music you wrote from the age of 14 until the day that it comes out. And then your second Mm -hmm. album is all the best music you write in the next year and a half. Um, Yeah. And so like the fact that Metallica had honed that sense of hooks, they'd been playing live for something like five or six years before they cut an album. Um, And you can tell. Like you hear hit the lights or metal militia or phantom Lord. And it you're like, they want me to open a pit, but I'm in my room. I'm in my room right now. My yeah. parents will kill me. <laughs> like I, I want to kick the door in James, but my dad will punch me in the dick. <laughs> then he'll throw me out the window. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of in, in a haze trying to think about it. It's, it's interesting. Cause I mean, obviously, he wasn't there at the beginning, but I think a big part of, you know, early Metallica is obviously Cliff Burton and yes. everything he brought in to that band. And and the, the way I like to think of it to like if someone doesn't know about Cliff is like he's the guy that I think kept the band in mind with with the metal, but also always this balance between like prog rock and punk. He yeah. was the guy who would be like, who made it so Metallica, no one would bat an eye if Metallica covered Rush or The Misfits. It made sense, no matter which way you went. Um, and, and, you know, and before that, obviously, everything that went in 
you know, before Cliff even joined, which is the Diamond Head and Motorhead influence. Um, and obviously that, you know, that's how, especially in something like Master of Puppets, we get something like Orion. And before that, you know, Call of Cthulhu, these sort of epic, um, you know, almost classical type pieces. But at the same time, it still has this huge, just youthful fury behind it. Um, and then, of course, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to think, like, how, when Cliff died, how things changed. I mean, obviously, it became the songwriting purely Lars and James. Um, and, you know, we could see that in Justice for All, where they basically pushed Jason out. <laughs> um, and even with the Black Album, kind of, like, didn't give him that much room. Um but yeah, I, I think I think Cliff left his mark, and even after he was gone, it still lingered with them, probably throughout their careers. Yeah, I mean, we have that that biggest change of you take you take "Jump in the Fire," a song that showed up on all of their demos um, mm-hmm. and was one of the first songs that they ever wrote together. Um, and you compare that, you, you compare any of the versions, like literally off of any of the demos or the one off of "Kill 'Em All" that had Cliff on bass, and you compare that any track on ride the lightning the first song where the first album where even for older songs where they'd had the riffs lying around or even sometimes mm-hmm. full songs lying around they acknowledged like cliff helped them arrange things yeah and that w- that being the big thing like cliff the fact that cliff was a good bassist was icing that was not the key thing that he brought to the band in my opinion because you you can find bassists who could you know play cliff under a table that's fine but they don't have that other thing of. And what's fascinating is he'd played in some other bands before and demos of those have come out and he lacked a thing that Metallica had as well, which is that like James can write a, it, it, on even Metallica's worst record. There will be riffs that James has written where you're like this riff fucking rules. Like if St. Anger weren't recorded as poorly as it was. More chunks of that album work than we are than we like to tell ourselves. It's mostly ruined by bad engineering and production choices. There's definitely mostly. isolated riffs that are legitimately yeah. good. Yeah, there are there are other problems with saying anger. I'm not going to be one of those ridiculous <laughs> people that's like it's secretly good. It's not. But the reasons why it fail aren't because everything is bad. That's ludicrous. Exactly. Um, and I mean that's part of why hardwired is as good as it is and why large chunks of death magnetic, especially the remastered version that isn't as brick walled. Thank God. Are as satisfying as there. <clears throat> yeah. Oh my God. The brick wall. I, I, I heard. Fucking I was, terrible. thank God. Ah, oh, thank God. It's actually good. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a good album. It's, it it's is. not their best album, but it's, it's not bad at all. Hey, but, it's awesome. Yeah. But you look at the way you even look at demo versions of call of Cthulhu, which, which we have record of thankfully. And we have the big box sets of theirs that they've been putting up for beautiful and super lavish compare that to the one that showed up on the record. And it, that's where it starts making sense. Why they're like Mustaine, we're not going to give you as much credit as you think that you deserve. Cause you came up with this riff, but cliff heard the riffs that you wrote and that James wrote. And he went, what if we arrange them like this? What if we layer how they evolve? What if we do four repetitions in this iteration? Then we do two repetitions with this iteration that I'm going to show you. And then and now it's the Metallica that becomes the biggest metal band that will ever exist. 
Mm-hmm. I strongly think there's never going to be a band that's ever as big as Metallica again in the metal world. Like, they already own it. It's already owned. Yeah. It, yeah. It's theirs forever. Yeah. I mean, we even see it like Judas Priest isn't as big as Metallica. Like, mm, yeah. like you look at sales figures and the Black Album will sell more in one week now, like 30 years after it came out, than a lot of bands that we consider overly hyped will sell in their first week. It's very which true. Touches on another thing we brought up, which good, is that sometimes people, yeah, people can lock themselves into a kind of echo chamber where they get really. They're like, "Oh, I'm so mad about the OSDM revival." It's so it's like if you knew how many units these things moved, you'd get why people keep buzzing about them because they're not they're not going to dethrone Emperor at Damnation Fest. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that would be cool if a new band could do that. And we've talked about that yeah. before, but like it's it's not. But yeah, you you hear what Metallica, the leap, the quantum leap, and this is obviously no hate on Kill 'Em All. Kill 'Em All is a fucking great record. If there's a band that sounds like Kill 'Em All their entire career, they're a good band. Mm-hmm. But they're not the band that put out Ride the Lightning and then followed up Ride the Lightning with Master of Puppets and then followed that up with Injustice for All. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's awesome. Like, not even Judas mm-hmm. Priest. Judas Priest's best records are spread out over their career. Like we have, we have Sad Wings of Destiny, top 10 record in metal of all time. One of the best. Then we have Stained Class, again, one of the best of all time. We have, for me, Defenders goes a little bit over Screaming, but either one of those I think is a good choice. Both is even fine. We have Painkiller. We have Firepower. But those are spread out. We had, with Metallica... Four perfect and different records. That's the other thing is like you play Kill 'em All next to Injustice for All. They don't they don't no, sound the same. They're actually quite different. Yeah. The progression is impressive. Darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Ride the Lightning is the closest to both black and death metal that the band would ever get. And then Master of Puppets is this prog thrash like like I'm certain people have seen by now, but someone did a rhythmic analysis of um like using like timestamps on like audacity of the song master of puppets and found that one riff that everyone in their mother learns as like a 15 mm-hmm. a riff with 15 beats where you play seven and then you play eight actually the part where you play seven is missing one thirty second note so it's not 15 eight it's uh 29 16 which you you naturally play it correctly. Like you've heard the song so much that you will naturally do it the way it's supposed to be done. But I don't know. That's weird shit. And it's huge. That song is fucking enormous. Like what other band? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. To own. And I think the most profound thing we've come across so far with Metallica is that the title of biggest metal band of all time um, is not transferable. No, like once you can't reinvent heavy metal. It's been invented. It's here, uh, and Metallica is was. I mean, was and I guess is number one. They're they're the they're the icon. They're they're what the big general people think of. Oh, Metallica. The, <laughs> the big thing of so the core two of like obviously we I the first mm. four holy texts to me, but I think everyone probably everyone can agree. The top two, regardless of how you place them, are going to be Ride and Master. Right. Those are just the the peak of them, and those are probably the two best heavy metal records of all time. I do know some people who are exceptions to that. 
Yeah, those people are wrong. I love <laughs> Injustice for All. I love it. And I also love Kill em All, but they're wrong. Um, but the thing that makes those work is, and this is maybe blasphemy, but I don't think it is. On those, they did literally everything that made Iron Maiden and Judas Priest great. Those are effectively, they took Judas Priest and injected it with steroids. It's like, what if Sad Wings of Destiny uh, and Stained Class was played by a combination of Rush and Motorhead? I like that much more than like, my McDonald's reference. Yes. <laughs> like it's, it's, and if, if we, we mentioned this before, if Judas Priest is the quintessential metal band, then Ride the Lightning going into Master of Puppets is like the rarefied, hyper condensed neutron star version of what heavy metal is. Right, right. It's got prog in it. It's got punk. It's got thrashy bits. It's got flex of what would become every death metal and black metal band under the sun, literally all of them. All worship Metallica. And that's for a reason. Like, you hear Call of Cthulhu and you hear contemporary black metal. <laughs> I think about the outro riff of Call of Cthulhu, the really like, or it's also the opening riff of the really spidery one, mm-hmm. or Fight Fire with Fire, and then any extreme metal. Like, it, the quintessential. How does this band now, and let's think about how they exist, like, 2020 like now um they carry all this legacy and like they carry in their hands our hearts as metalheads and lovers of these albums especially ride the lightning because i mean we all just get weak to that thing um oh god and they've made mistakes the band (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, that that's an alternate name for them actually it's made mistakes the band yeah um <laughs> and it's like they still have standing they still have credit plenty of it um they still have respect they still write good music like there's no doubt but what can that band do i mean they're not going to last forever those those guys no one lives forever those guys aren't i mean they could be on stage when they're 70 and 80 that's badass i would root for them but eventually Metallica will cease to be what does that band do or what could they do theoretically to make a last statement a what would people say the beginning the middle the end maybe the middle is where we are now and the middle itself oh, has a I, dynamic I, but I mean what, I, I yeah, think what would it be don't know theoretical I, I, th- I think we're past the middle um okay. just unfortunately looking at their ages and mm-hmm. I mean, the reality of it, of the end being in sight within our lifetimes is definitely true. I mean, just mathematically for one thing, but also just because we can already see other bands retiring, like obviously older bands like Sabbath Mm. and such. But I mean, I think I think the big one for that generation of the 80s and Metallica and their contemporaries is Slayer calling it quits. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge part. I mean, we still have Megadeth and we still have Anthrax. But even within that, you know, Megadeth's retirement, well, they kind of had a short retirement for a while. But then also the fact that, you know, Dave Mustaine got throat cancer and, you know, fortunately he's survived it. Yeah. But, you know, there's all these things happening where it's like, the you know, the the big four ending uh, is, is very much a reality. And, you know, and one of them have. So... And it's a weird thing. Like I've contemplated this, like what would happen if 
Kirk died or what would happen or, you know, something happened where he just couldn't play anymore. I think the band would continue potentially like there's definitely a part of me that could see them just ending it there. But I did, I know for a fact if James or Lars couldn't play anymore, that would be the Done. end. Cause that is, that is the, the linchpin from the beginning. And if that breaks, then, then it really isn't Metallica. Right. Um, no matter how, how hard they tried. Is um, the band capable though, as a unit now, as they are now of creating something we could consider great. I mean, it's the biggest shock for me in that, like I, wasn't a big fan of Death Magnetic. I mean, I did think it was better than um, Insane Anger. But for a long time, I mean, Metallica being one of my favorite bands of all time, I kind of thought that's true. But at the same time, like their place in history was sort of solidified for me. And most of what was going to happen next is at best OK. And then Hardwire came out. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, there's a Metallica album that's in my top ten, and it's a new Metallica album. Now, it's not in the top three, but... I texted someone that I hadn't talked to in five years because I was like, I'm so happy Metallica is back. Like, (laughs) it repaired a friendship of mine. Like, So you really love that album, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's a weird thing in that it's not like it's not like oh my god they sound just like master of puppets again but what it does is it taps a bit into like right aligning master of puppets while at the same time tapping into like the black album like gotcha, it still gotcha. has those songs that are pretty pretty commercial and, and something i wouldn't couldn't imagine having been recorded like back during right aligning or, or or master of puppets but for the first time in forever it, which is weird because Death Magnetic was supposed to be this look back um, on their history. And, and oddly enough, like Hardwire just feels way more like that. Like it actually taps into a lot of the golden points of their time and, and kind of writes songs that should have been recorded then. But here we are now with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's and, and, and I love that. Album. And it, which is bizarre because double album, it's long. <laughs> But I really enjoy it. And there might be like one or two tracks that aren't exactly my favorites. But again, considering the breadth of that album, it, that's still quite an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So for, for Metallica, for me, I almost my answer to your question is almost the opposite of an answer to your question. And that <laughs> the thing that I think assures their greatness for me is they seem to look at each other after one. I think this is true after every record. but after what most metal fans would consider their peak. They looked at each other and went, we did it. Let's do something else. No one else does. This is so rare to be like, you look at yourself and go, that's literally the best version of this that we'll ever be able to do. Let's do something different. And then actually do it. And then they do that every time. Like, even if it's not, like, they cut the Black album and they went, all right, commercial metal masterpiece it's just as heavy metal as anything that we've done before but can resonate with people fuck it hard rock now and like blues rock and whatever and then they did Mm -hmm. that and they're like all right done double disc double disc cover album is how they followed that up like their career is way weirder than we make it seem and we make it seem like they were commercial sellouts but what the fuck about any of these projects sound like they're commercial Mm mm-hmm we know that they're commercial because they sold, but what about the Black Album sounds like it's going to work? 
you hired Bob Rock to cut a Metallica album, and then you hear just the riffs on their own, and it still, it sounds more like the demo era of Metallica than anything since Kill 'Em All. Who would have thought a Kill 'Em All rehash would become the top-selling metal album probably for eternity? And then to be like, okay, Metallica's gonna go play Southern Rock now. How is that a commercial sellout move? That's, that's weird. That is an insane and weird idea. And then it just happened to do well. And then they follow that up with Saint Anger. Like, we're going to go back to eight minute long songs, but we're also going to produce it like we are a hungry hardcore band that doesn't know how to play, <laughs> even though we do. Yeah. We're the band that cut Master of Puppets. It's like, and then, like, the fact that that's something that I have a ludicrous amount of respect for. We hear a lot of BS in the experimental music world, the avant-garde music world, the extreme metal music world. If I make music for me, I make it uncompromising. But ultimately, that's kind of BS. And it's it's BS for fair reasons. We want to feel like we're part of a community. We want to feel that that community understands what we've put out, resonates with what we've put out. These are all totally fair things. I don't mean to attack that. There's never been a more we make art for us, we don't give a fuck what you think record than Lulu. <laughs> Who wanted Lulu other than Metallica and Lou Reed? And they got, they got Universal to distribute it. It's the nicest way to talk about that album, what you just did. <laughs> well, like, like <laughs> so I legit nice. have massive respect yeah. that they were like, no, we're going to go, we're going to cut a record with Lou Reed and we're going to release it. Fuck it. Whatever. You're not wrong. And then I love it. <laughs> and then they followed that up. They followed that up with Hardwired. Mm -hmm. Again, a record mm -hmm. that like, I, I agree with Joe. It's like, it's, I'm not. I, I like the Black Album. I'm not massive on it. There's songs on it I love, and then other parts that I think are. But Hardwired felt like they looked at it and went, "Let's make, let's tweak it." But like 30 mm. years later, and they made a 3D movie with a plot. <laughs> Who asked them to do that? And they lost money on it, and yeah. were like, "We don't regret it." A great takeaway, Langdon, from what you said is that Metallica's career has been a lot weirder than anyone gives them credit for. Fucking truth. It's profound to me because I'd never thought of it that way. But yeah, Joseph right. Schaefer and I have talked about that a lot yeah. where it's like, that's the thing that I think earns them. One, they put out literally perfect records, literally the best records heavy metal has ever seen. And mm -hmm. it's hard to argue the amount of the amount of credit you buy by putting out something that's literally the best. But then on top of that, they literally don't give a fuck about what anyone thinks. They're like, we're Metallica. We only do any given thing one time, and then we move on to something else. And it's just the thing we want. We don't give a fuck if you want it. You're going to get it, because we're fucking Metallica, and you're going to buy it. <laughs> and then they're right. Who yeah. else can do that? Phew. It's a, it's a, you earn. Yeah. To touch on something Isan brings up, and that black metal artists like to comment on line, it's incredibly Nietzschean. They, through sheer force of will, they're like, we're Metallica, and you're buying Lulu. And you're like, but I don't like Lulu. And they're like, I didn't say you like it. I said <laughs> you're buying it. <laughs> uh, Boy, all right, all right. buy that, though. Yeah, shit. <laughs> Joe, any I learned final to like it with my big brain. <laughs> any final <laughs> thoughts, Joe? Final thoughts on on what we've covered on Metallica. I, Mr. I like Metallica. Well, what do you kind think? of touching yeah. like what you said, like, I mean, I could still see them do. I, I'll be curious to see what they come out with next. Obviously, Me they, I mean, I, I've already seen them talking about how they've got, um, you know, they've been writing 
during the lockdown and everything. So I wouldn't be surprised if a new album comes out next year or you know relatively soon. Like I wouldn't <laughs> surprise not me either. The, yeah, I got yeah. you. So, you know, I think I think they're in their final stretch in terms of like we'll probably see anywhere from one to three more albums from them. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, and I would put probably hardwired is sort of like the beginning of this stretch, maybe death magnetic. Um, so it'll be interesting. Like, and again, I liked hardwired so much that I am actually fascinated to see where they go. Um, you know, and again, there may be more left turns, right turns, just the fact that they did Lula. I could totally imagine them just being like, we're going to do a blues album. Like the fact that the fact that that band has still got you on your toes. This yeah. many years later means, hey, that band's probably pretty damn good at what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. So it, it'll be very interesting. And, yeah. you know, I, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I hope they, you know, I hope they stay healthy and keep going for, for as long as they can. I hope so, too. Absolutely. They, they've got the spirit. They've had the metal spirit their whole lives. Um, There's also have. such a beauty to the fact that they've kept Cliff's family intertwined Mm-hmm. in their business and with creative decisions literally the entire time they were kids when he passed right there's like yeah. there's n- there's no need to do that the fact that they've gone out of their way to keep the burton family involved and checking with their input and even for new records they'll bring in cliff's dad and cliff's mom and play them riffs and be like you it's know a- what do you think you know what that's beautiful. Like it's, that's that's so touching. It feels like honor. It feels the respect there is so profound. Um, for another artist's touch, you know that they would go so far as to do all that, you know, extra. I'm sure extra logistics just to maintain that. It just shows that the band cares about the music. And I don't think no matter how shitty you think any Metallica album is, like I clearly don't like Saint Anger very much. Um, they care. <laughs> you know they. They didn't, they just don't, even, even though they're millionaires, they don't half-ass it. And like, I give them credit for that because they could, but they don't, which is nice. So fuck yeah, Metallica, you know, I'm going to listen to fucking Ride the Lightning (laughs) all night. (laughs) Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.